0: Yeah. 5th, Liberation Day, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, Contributing Editor at Dutch News, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering, and the most famous Twitterer of the Dutch News Podcast. Our third regular panel member, Gordon Derrick, isn't here today. He is currently in the UK on a mission to stop Brexit.
1: And is he successful? I'm not sure. I guess we will uh, see you next week. Yes, we will uh, have to ask. Yeah. Um, so, Molly, welcome back. Thank you very we much. You've been to the United States on a uh, road trip? I
0: was. I was there for uh, three weeks. It so was, it was very nice,
1: yes. For us, it was very nice as well. I'm sure that you enjoyed <laughs> uh the three weeks without me, yes, indeed.
0: True. Um, we did have some, some sad news that happened because yes. our, our fourth regular member of the podcast, my dog Murphy, who's usually sitting in the bedroom with us, had to be put to sleep this week. So I am very sad, yes. There's a lot of sadness going on,
1: yeah. We're all very sad. Yeah. Murphy was uh. Uh, our cornerstone. Yes, he
0: was a, he was our he was our, our uh, the really the rock that held this podcast yes, together. Yes. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to continue without him.
1: Yes, we will have to find out next week as well. Yes,
0: <laughs> I know that uh, you're no Gordon Paul, our regular fashion correspondent, but could you please explain what all the controversy is about this Eurovision dress stuff that I've been seeing on Twitter?
1: Uh, the Dutch uh, contestants for the Eurovision Song Contest uh, uh, revealed their dresses uh, this week. Mm-hmm. You had a chance to... I see.
0: did. I did see the dresses, yes. Do you, what did you think? Um, they look like dresses, I guess they were, <laughs> okay. They, they were seem- shiny. They were very shiny, a little avant garde with some odd cutouts in places.
1: Yes, and um, as always, uh, the Dutch have a have very strong opinion about that. Yes, so, I can uh, only they- imagine. So it was the topic of the day uh, earlier this week. Yes, yeah. well,
0: good luck to, uh, how do you pronounce their name? o O-g- Ogene o Gene. Yeah, yes. Yeah, you know
1: what it stands for? No, I don't uh, remember. The O stands for the blood type of their mother. Okay. And Gene stands for their genes, I guess. And there's a three in there because they are three sisters.
0: Okay. Well, I hope they do well, despite their strange name situation. (laughs) This week, we will tell you about lines at Schiphol, lines in Rotterdam, and update you with the latest Coalition Talks news. In our discussion, we will ask whether or not it's appropriate to honor refugees on Remembrance Day. Our top story this week, after an extended break, coalition talks restarted on Wednesday. The four-party talks between the VVD, Groenlinks, the Dezessezeste, and the Christian Democrats were on a break for Easter and resumed a day later than planned, so Groenlinks leader Yasa Klavår could attend the funeral of his mother. Our condolences to her family and friends. So Paul, as our listeners know, I've been away for three weeks on holiday, so what's been going on with the coalition talks? Because um, I have no idea what's been going
1: on in the news here. Not much. Okay, they're still talking. They're still talking. Yes, it's still very difficult. and It's very hard, and they're not sure if they uh, will uh, will find an agreement. But the, the, at least they're willing to to to. Uh To sit down and chat. Yeah, Yeah. indeed.
0: Yeah, previous coalition talks have taken months, so it could be a very long time until we uh, see if we have a a functioning government.
1: Yes, especially considering uh, there are four parties involved now, so uh, it's very difficult. But luckily for us, um, uh, uh, Prime Minister Magritte is notorious for his radio silence in, in these sort of situations. When there are negotiations, he won't be talking to the press whatsoever. Um, but luckily for us, the uh, chair of the negotiations, Edith Schippers, she um, well, she gives a short statement every Thursday now. So um, yesterday uh, she came out and she was uh, 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 talking about. Uh, how difficult it was the usual stuff but um uh, there was one topic leaked uh, they're going to discuss uh, the uh, drugs policy of the netherlands oh very they, interesting they want to renew that or at least uh, that's uh, that's on the table now but um days has that they are really in favor of easing the drugs policy where for example CDI is really opposed to that so it's another um major issue that they have to um, Resolve
0: right. Other important issues include income policy, climate change, and immigration. So I guess we uh, will have keep, to wait and see. Yeah, yeah, we will keep you guys updated as to what happens uh, in the next
1: week with that. Indeed. Our next topic, uh, Schiphol Airport announced on Wednesday it will be hiring hundreds of extra staff following weeks of long waiting lines and overcrowded terminals. According to a spokesperson, the airport is currently operating at maximum capacity. Some passengers were standing in line for security for so long that they missed their flight. KLM announced that they lost millions of euros over the weekend. So Molly, um, you just arrived at Schiphol, Uh, how long did you have to wait in line?
0: Uh, I actually didn't have to wait that long. The passport control line was slightly longer than usual, but I still think we were back in in 15 or 20 minutes after the plane was landing.
1: Okay, so you had no bad experience at Schiphol. No, and
0: we didn't have any bad experiences flying out either, so I did not uh, get caught up in this, which I, which, which, which Ma- is nice.
1: Maybe you got the VIP treatment.
0: Well, I always get VIP <laughs> treatment. But I understand that the lines are the result of uh, growth in passengers
1: at the airport, right? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, according to Schiphol Airport, uh, they handled 64 million passengers last year, which is an increase of almost 20 million people compared to 2010. So that's a very uh, large increase. And uh, that number is still expected to grow because, for example, in the first uh, three months of 2017, um, the airport handled uh, 9% more passengers than the same period last year.
0: That's a, that's a very big increase. So what else is the airport doing besides hiring extra, I hope, security
1: staff? <laughs> yeah, well, well, Schiphol just Reached its capacity both in terms of handling passengers in the terminals as well as handling aircraft on the runway and uh, and the gates. Also, security and uh, baggage handling is also a major issue. Right now, they just uh, reached their capacity, and um, even the train station and parking areas have uh, no more room to grow. So, there needs to be something done in the near future.
0: Are there plans for expansion of the of the physical space of Schiphol? Well,
1: they've been talking. They've been talking about expanding the airport for decades now but uh, the airport is basically landlocked uh, between you know areas where people live and obviously they don't want an extra runway next right. to their house of course so there are plans to uh, move some traffic to uh, airports for example in Rotterdam and in Lelystad well best of
0: luck to them I hope they uh, get some some uh, easement in the busyness before the summer holiday starts yes. Moving on from lines at Schiphol to lines in Rotterdam, a port inspector in Rotterdam was arrested this week for his part in a plot to smuggle 200 kilos of cocaine into the country. The man used his access to allow drugs criminals to enter the port. The cocaine in question arrived hidden in a load of coal in March. Honestly, I'm surprised they didn't try to smuggle the cocaine aboard a a bunch of illegal fireworks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, imagine uh, (laughs) smuggling illegal drugs in a pile of illegal fireworks. (laughs) I can see that
0: happening. I mean, the Port of Rotterdam is sort of known for its being an entryway for illegal fireworks, especially in the run-up to New (laughs) Year's. In fact, cocaine trafficking at the port has been on the rise. Uh, In 2016, authorities seized a record quantity of cocaine during inspections at the port. 14 tons with a value of 700 million euros on the street. The previous two years saw 7.5 and, and 4.6 tons seized, respectively. So apparently more cocaine is coming in through Rotterdam.
1: Yeah, and if your port inspectors are involved in this, then... Uh, yeah. I can see why. Yeah. Well, as the uh, Rotterdam Port Authority is struggling to deal with hidden stuff, one suspicious package in Utrecht did not go unnoticed on Wednesday. In the Utrecht town of Nieuwegrijn, an object was found under a bridge, after which the police was called. They did not trust the object, and it was decided to evacuate the area in a 200 meter radius, including closing the A2 highway that runs from Amsterdam to Utrecht. It didn't take long for the bomb squad, however, to find out that the hidden object was not in fact an explosive, but was part of a children's birthday party treasure hunt. So is this a quintessential
0: example of police overreaction?
1: Yes, uh, like Reagan in Grenada. <laughs> Good lord! <laughs> well, the the police defended themselves, saying that well, we didn't know for sure what it was. Uh, it could have been uh, an explosive. Um, so I guess better safe than sorry.
0: But I can imagine that uh, closing the A two must have resulted in
1: massive delays. Well, not really, because uh, it wasn't a very busy time anyway. It was eleven o'clock in the morning, and uh, especially considering it's spring break. There there wasn't much traffic on the road. the The traffic was easily diverted uh, on to different roads, and um, I think the ones that were most heavily affected by this bomb investigation were these poor children that will have to live with the fact that they uh, don't uh, possess a treasure. What, what do we know? What the treasure was? Uh, a bomb, <laughs> <laughs> fireworks, fireworks, now, Ill- illegal fireworks from uh, the Port of Rotterdam. Yeah, well, there was some cocaine hidden inside. <laughs> <laughs> For the children's birthday party. Right, yeah. exactly. That's a fun party, I must say. Yeah, I think so. Uh it's not it's not known what uh, what the treasure was.
0: Okay. Well uh, I hope that the uh the children managed to get on without the uh prize of their treasure hunt and that the both birthday boy or birthday girl had a had a good day anyway. There was cake, so I'm sure. Yeah. While well, a treasure hunt may have put the brakes on the A2, an NRC columnist is credited with putting the brakes on geen style. A number of companies, including Ikea, Hawk, and cancer charity, KWF, are among the advertisers who have pulled their ads from shock blogs Style and Dumpert, following a column Rosanna Herzberger wrote last month. In it, she calls for an advertising boycott of the sites for their sexist content. Um, So for our listeners who are not familiar with Style and Dumpert, they are sort of shock blogs akin to maybe a British tabloid or the Howard Stern Sternso in the U.S. Um, both are owned by the Telegraph Media Group. Hein uh, Style is more of a blog. Dumpart is their uh, sort of video spinoff arm, yes. right? Gein Style has responded in a true Hein Style fashion by calling Hertzberger a stupid cow and asking its readers if they would have sex with her. That resulted in hundreds of hateful messages, including a whole bunch of rape fantasies. Um, Dumpart in particular is known for its, quote, rating system, which in lieu of stars uses women's backsides. Yes, do you know why? Yeah, it's a bit of a pun, right? Yeah,
1: so uh, to rate, and a rate in Dutch is an ass, so yeah. that's why it is.
0: Yeah, so it's a bit of a pun with yeah. that. However, not all of the advertisers have pulled their ads. Amusement Park Efteling and the Armed Forces will continue to advertise with the sites. Well,
1: well I'm not sure if it's a, a, a good strategy if you don't agree with the website or with the things they're writing if you just attack their uh, advertisers. I'm not entirely sure if that is a... Good strategy. Yeah, Why? it's Why similar.
0: It's similar to the uh, to the response that uh, a bunch of people in the U.S. have taken to these sites, such as Breitbart and stuff. You, you know, mm-hmm. Hain style itself says that it doesn't sort of subscribe to journalistic principles and that kind of stuff. And so the uh, the the argument is is that well, you know, you're supporting a site that is you know promoting sexism and and. Homophobia and other things, the objectification of women, and so you know, we, you shouldn't be advertising on those sort of places. So I, I I do see it from that perspective. I'm not personally a huge fan of Hain style. I've had my own uh, interactions <laughs> with them over the years. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I'm sort of curious to see what this uh, what this means for the future of these uh, of these sorts of uh, of. Yeah, these sorts of media outlets. Um, Reyn Style gets around a a million and a half visitors a month, and Dump gets around two million. So they're quite popular sites.
1: Yeah, they they really are popular, yeah. Yeah,
0: so I guess we will uh, see what happens with this.
1: Yes. While uh, Schiphol is used to uh, finding all sorts of uh, things in passenger suitcases, but what they found in one man's rucksack even surprised them. The Russian, who was traveling from Brazil to Russia with a transfer in Amsterdam, was carrying not one, not two, but 26 snakes as well as 33 cockroaches, 11 lizards, and 16 frogs. The animals were not endangered species, but because the man had put them in plastic containers, the well-being of the animals was harmed, and that is the reason why he was taken into custody.
0: Well, as far as I know, there were no snakes on my plane when I was flying (laughs) Are you sure?
1: I hope so. Did you check every overhead compartment? I
0: would be very upset to discover that there were 26 snakes, 33 cockroaches, 11 lizards, and 16 frogs on my
1: flight. Well, not only that... All 26 snakes are poisonous enough to kill a human being.
0: I can't imagine that you were just allowed to take a poisonous snake on a plane under
1: normal circumstances, I don't right? think he was allowed. He yeah. just did it. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I hear that uh, two of the frogs were a species that was only discovered in 2009, um, and that the lizards were very rare, according to the Dutch Product Safety Agency. Yes. So, Paul, where are the animals now, and uh, what happened to the, uh, the guy in question?
1: Uh, well, the animals are all sent uh, to shelters and are now in, uh, in care of experts. Um, the uh, Russian man is still in custody at Schiphol as the authorities are still trying to decide what to do with him. But I'm sure he will be fine, and he probably has to pay the snakes return ticket to Brazil.
0: Do they get their own seats in first class?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really hope I am not on the flight of uh, the snakes being sent back to Brazil. They will have the seatbelts on so yeah. they can't go anywhere. They can't go anywhere. <laughs> that doesn't make me feel any better. <laughs>
0: We will be discussing Remembrance Day after this word from our sponsors.
1: Here in Holland is a new podcast for internationals living in the Netherlands. It is a twice weekly podcast which focuses on the stories of internationals and experts. The podcast covers topics from manners to chance encounters, and they interview the Dutch and non-Dutch alike to get their insights, advice, and stories, ranging from the funny to the sad. Here in Holland is currently creating an entirely crowdsourced podcast and welcomes your submissions. You can send your stories via WhatsApp. Find more information on their website, www.hereinholland.com. The podcast is available in iTunes and other podcasting apps.
0: This week, we will be discussing Dodenherdenking, or Remembrance of the Dead. Commonly called Remembrance Day, it is observed on May 4th and commemorates all of the civilian and military casualties since World War II. This is not normally a controversial topic, however, this year, a Dutch Protestant minister, Rico Verberg, has called for the inclusion of some 3,000 refugees who died attempting to reach Europe in the commemoration. After much criticism, a ceremony to honor them was canceled. So what do you think, Paul? Should Remembrance Day include refugees?
1: Well, I think that's a very difficult question to answer, actually, because on the one hand, I can see why you would want to include them in the Remembrance Day ceremony. But on the other hand, I understand the people as well that say, well, this day is not for refugees, this is for you know military and civilian casualties since world war ii it's a day that it is uh, originally started to remember uh, victims of the holocaust and uh, the soldiers that died trying to defend or liberate the netherlands so i can see that some people don't want refugees to be included in this ceremony I'm not decided. It's hard for me to answer this question. Until 1961,
0: the day was only for victims of World War II. That's how it's celebrated for in, in most of, of Western Europe yeah. as, a, as a day to remember sort of the victims of the Holocaust and those who died in the military conflict. The day was then expanded to include the victims of all the conflicts that the Netherlands was involved in. This was mostly on the part of uh, the victims of conflicts in Indonesia, who wanted the victims of those conflicts that the Dutch were involved in to be included in the commemoration ceremonies. And uh, yeah, Jewish groups have long protested an expansion of the commemoration to include other victims. As a matter of fact, in 2013 there was a bit of an op over whether or not to include German victims in the remembrance yeah. ceremonies.
1: Yeah, and then they settled that these victims are included, but they are just not mentioned in the ceremonies so um it, it's it has always been a controversial topic right. who are we including in this uh, Remem- remembrance day uh, ceremonies but but now i come to think of it i think we remember uh, the soldiers that fought in world war ii the soldiers that defended our freedom or fought for our freedom and we remember um the victims of the holocaust as well people that you know died because they were not free So for me personally, on Remembrance Day, when I'm two minutes minutes silent, I'm thinking about uh, how grateful I am that I live in a country where I am free, where I'm free to stand on a square for two minutes uh, and be silent and that I'm not forced to do this. So uh, in light of that, I think everyone should be free to commemorate anyone they want. I mean, Just for me personally, I'm not commemorating uh, refugees, for example. But I think, in essence, everyone should be free to decide for their for themselves to commemorate who they choose to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, the day isn't uh, isn't isn't a holiday. It uh, mostly revolves around the fact that there is a two minutes of silence at at 8 p.m. Um, and I suppose you know any individual can commemorate with themselves, by themselves, whoever they would like to be sort of thinking about in that that two minutes of silence. Yeah, I think it's an interesting uh, 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 sort of controversy here because on one hand, you know, the Holocaust, the World War II was its own sort of very specifically terrible event that has sort of not been replicated thankfully since then right i mean we've had yeah. certainly other genocides i mean you could look at the Rwandan genocide to some degree i think that people um, will say that the yugoslavian conflict was also kind of it was a genocide but not in the same sort of systematic way that yeah. Hitler was engaging in genocide, right? Yeah. I mean, the reason that everyone was so terribly outraged as to what happened during World War II had a lot to do with the sort of systematic um, method of sort of killing Jewish people and, and, and other sort of, yeah, yeah
1: people. A, a death factory. Right, yeah. yeah. But,
0: I mean, we, you know, there were certainly terrible, terrible deaths that included, that you know, that were that took place in Rwanda and, and, and that, that sort of conflict, you know, not to sort of in any way... Um, reduce the memory of the people that died in that but it wasn't a sort of systematic uh, uh, extermination in the same kind of way yeah and, um, and
1: we use this um, example to uh, you know think about what 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 can happen if you're not free for for me personally uh, May fourth is really about um, being humbled and being grateful that we live in freedom and we have human rights and that we have a constitution and on May 5th we I celebrate. That I'm free, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Because today, of course, is uh, is Liberation Day, which is uh, celebrates yeah. the, the day that the Dutch were liberated from the from the Nazis. Yeah. On the other hand, as as human history sort of moves forward, you you kind of move on past these sort of things, and other conflicts do arise. And I do think that like the you know the events that are taking place in Syria are horribly tragic, and you know a number of the refugees that have died trying to cross into the Mediterranean are are. You know a a direct result of these conflicts and i think that oftentimes the role that countries in europe and and the united states in particular have played in creating these situations where you know these sort of conflicts can arise you know for example i mean the the borders of a lot of places in the middle east are not sort of quote-unquote natural borders that resulted as a result of, you know, geography or or different groups of people, it, you know, they were often drawn on a map a, a number of them after World War 1. And so, the, you know, the the fact that there are still continues to be conflicts in these places has a lot to do with the fact that um outsiders, you know, sort of came in and drew these artificial yeah. borders and, you know, these were not people who sort of felt kinship with each other or shared commonalities and and language and this sort of stuff and so it creates a number of conflicts and as a result of that you know people are trying to escape and you know the policies of uh, a number of European countries have contributed to the fact that you know people have died in the Mediterranean Um, and I think that that's really a terrible thing Um, I think I sort of come down on the side of you that if you want to commemorate sort of anyone who has kind of died in a in a conflict um i think that you know that's sort of the part that the the important part of remembrance day is sort of remembering the to honor the people who who were not as lucky as as yeah. you and i are to have yeah. been caught up in these sort of situations regardless of what those
1: sort of situations are yeah but should you um you know come up with a different group of victims every year on May 4th?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think it's really difficult to do this because on one hand, uh, World War Two is still something that is very much in the in the memory of people, particularly people who, you know, were living in Western Europe, right? I mean, yeah. like there are still people alive who were, you know, sort of the victims of the hunger winter and fought in World War Two, right? Like this isn't such a distant war that no one is, is still around that, that was directly impacted by it. But, you know, in 50 or 100 years, that's no longer going to be the case. And so I do wonder if there will still be a value then of, of commemorating specifically those victims or if we will move on to commemorate the victims of other conflicts I don't know the answer to that
1: or or move on to commemorate the more general idea rather than this specific uh, right yeah exactly I mean I
0: think you know the the initial inception of this holiday was a very you know a very good one you know World War II was massively devastating both in terms of military losses, but also like civilian losses. And so I understand the instinct to want to sort of remember them in this particular way. Um, But yeah, I do wonder how these sort of things grow and change. I mean, we were discussing this yesterday and I was saying, well, you know, there's no longer kind of commemorations for the victims of, I don't know, the black plague or Genghis Khan, right? Like these were terrible events that happened, but they're so far away that we don't sort of, they don't kind of impact our kind of day-to-day lives. Whereas I think World War II still very much impacts, you know, policy and this, this sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure what, what has happened um, or what will happen with that. Although I I, I do think that the, the backlash against this seems to be a bit overblown. I mean, I think if a minister wants to hold a ceremony to, to commemorate, you know, people who died that I, I don't really see what the problem is with that necessarily. It just, it is it is a human tragedy what, what has been yes. happening with the refugees and that I, I mean I think that if somebody wants to
1: uh... but did he want to have this ceremony at 8 o'clock
0: I am or... not sure the original I think idea was is that there was going to be something because the big sort of Yeah, I don't want to use the word celebration, but the big commemoration ceremony is on the Dam Square in Amsterdam. And so originally the plan was that they were going to do something there, that he wanted to do something there. And then there was some discussion about moving it to the Kirk in Amsterdam before it was ultimately canceled. I mean, I I suppose, I mean, I I don't you know, I'm not I'm also not from this country and I, I don't necessarily go to the Remembrance Day celebrations or the Remembrance Day commemorations. Um, but you know, a number of people do. But it's my understanding that most people sort of commemorate the holiday by observing, you know, two minutes of silence, all of the trams and the, the public yeah. transportation and those sort of things, pause for two minutes and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's not as though there is a a specific sort of um, yeah, schema for how one commemorates this day. So I guess I feel like if, if people wanted to have an, an evening in a church with us commemorating these victims, that yeah.
1: it doesn't really seem all that controversial to me. Yeah, as long as you're silent uh, for two minutes and at eight o'clock. Right, yeah. yeah,
0: and you sort of observe the same kind of concept. I mean, I think it would be strange to want to commemorate it by saying, um, critiquing the the dresses of the Dutch uh, Eurovision Song Contest singers, right? But I mean, this sort of seems in line with what we have. And I do think that, you know, history is going to look back unfavorably, not specifically on the Netherlands, but but in on, on Europe in general, and how little that they that they did have done to sort of ease this refugee crisis.
1: Yeah, and, and another problem with um, uh, uh, commemorating refugees is that it's it's a hot topic right now, right? right. So uh, my I'm I'm afraid that uh, people that oppose these um, uh, ceremonies uh, commemorating refugees are sometimes um, motivated with. Uh, you know xenophobic ideas, right. and that is what I'm afraid of. Yeah, yeah. If you if you if you look at what we are uh, commemorating, the Holocaust, that is a perfect example of what xenophobia can lead to, right? Right, so- exactly.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that that your point is absolutely correct, right? That like these, the Holocaust. I mean Jewish people in Germany were not exterminated in this way because some guy didn't like Jewish people there was an underlying distrust amongst the population of Jewish people that was um, sort of cultivated by Hitler and other people in the Nazi Party right I mean this you know people say oh well this could never happen here but that's that's obviously not true I mean we have seen instances in more recent history of places where this has happened I mean you know t- to go back to the Rwandan example the Hutus and the Tutsis lived I mean this is an artificial designation I mean these were not two groups of people who further back in history were actually two groups of people they were sort of divided essentially by the belgians um basically to make it easier to sort of colonize them and they were people who lived together you know very very peacefully until the a moment when people took advantage of of this situation for their own personal gain right
1: yeah Um, so um remembrance day is about um, being warned what xenophobia and discrimination and racism can lead to. Right. So um, beware of that. Right. And yeah.
0: And so I think, you know, from that, that perspective that you would almost want to encourage the sort of commemoration yeah. of, of refugee victims. I can also say, I mean, the, you know, the Dutch have long been criticized for their failure to act and you know, for example, in, in Srebrenica and um, I know that there's a lot of criticism that was leveled at the Clinton administration for not doing anything during the Rwandan, uh, Rwandan genocide or not doing enough um, during the Rwandan genocide. And so I think, you know, history tends to look fairly unfavorably back at uh, people who maybe had the opportunity to to do some good and did not take advantage yeah. of that for, you know, internal political reasons. Um, and so I think that, you know history will probably not look favorably upon Europe for its reaction to the refugee crisis and that this is probably not helping, um, you know, people in 50 or 100 years say, well, why didn't people do something to help these people that were fleeing these terrible situations? So, yeah, I mean, I think that um, you know, you should be able to commemorate and, and remember whoever you want. Yeah. And if, you know, that's the the topic du jour and people want to commemorate, you know, refugees who died in the Mediterranean, I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Yes, yeah. I agree. <laughs> so that was a very uh, that was a bit of a heavy topic for yeah, this week. Um, yeah, but I, I think it was uh, an an, in- an interesting one.
1: Yeah, me too. So
0: Paul, what did you uh, think about during your two minutes of silence last night? Um,
1: yeah, as I said, I was uh, thinking about how grateful I am that I live in freedom and yeah. that I don't have to deal with the uh, war and. Um, and genocide and uh, right. all these sort of things. Yeah, yeah
0: we are. I think we uh, sometimes forget how kind of lucky we are. Yeah,
1: we, we shouldn't uh, take uh, freedom for granted. Right. That's what uh, yesterday was all about, right. in my opinion. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. I mean, I think it's funny because we we sort of are sitting now with these uh, coalition talks that are ongoing, and yet. You know it's all very peaceful and the, the sort of biggest dust-up is about whether jesse Klaver can take a papadag during the coalition talks right i mean yeah you sort of look back at uh, history and transitions of power do not always go this sort of peacefully and indeed. easily right? so
1: um yeah if, if that is the most important thing we have to worry about then uh, i think yeah. we're doing pretty good yeah, yeah me that's too. True.
0: well i think that's a good note to end on that's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we talked about today in the liner notes. You can now send comments, compliments, and abuse by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. My thanks to Paul Paters. I'm Molly Quell, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>